Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51, verse 1, it says, Be gracious to me, Elohim, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Elohim, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, Elohim, the Elohim of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Adonai, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering, a sacrifice pleasing to Elohim, is a broken spirit, Elohim, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. I started out with Psalm chapter 51 because I'm going to continue to talk about sacrifices. This will be the fourth sermon that I've taught about animal sacrifices. And we've learned, I hope, that we've learned a lot in the past several weeks. We took a break during the feast but I hope that we've uh, learned a lot about sacrifices, a lot that we may not know because nobody ever talks about that subject. Um, I'm glad to be a man that speaks about subjects that nobody talks about. I came in here today. I went to listen to a friend of mine preach this morning at a nominal Christian church. He did a great job. And then I came back here to turn on the air condition because I saw it was going to still get a little bit hot today. And the parking lot was full, and I'd forgotten that James Brighamman was here having his service. It's on the second Sunday of every month. So I came in on the tail end of that service, and is it Brother Johnny that plays the guitar? That's just phenomenal. Uh, it's a great mu musician. He was playing, Oh, wake, O Israel. Put off thy slumber. Man, it was just great. And I just came in here and was clapping my hands. And uh, it was a great thing to uh, see these people singing to, to Yahweh. And I asked Brother Dan Wilkinson. Love you, brother. I asked Brother Dan, I said, what did he talk about? What did he teach on? And Brother Dan goes into this long dissertation title or whatever. And I said, oh, just your normal message, right? But, you know, it's good to know other men that are teaching things that don't get talked about. That's good. That's good. Um, there's more to the Bible than John 3.16, brothers and sisters. There's more to the Bible than Acts 2.38. Those are part of the Scriptures, and they're wonderful, and I love them. 
but there's a, a book full of verses here. And I don't want to shun to declare the whole counsel of the Almighty. And part of that whole counsel, whether you understand it or not, whether the world understands it or not, whether the church world knows about it or not, part of that whole counsel is animal <coughs> sacrifices. Animal sacrifices. And we've learned through the book of Genesis and also through the book of Leviticus, the first two chapters or the first three chapters, that Yahweh loves them. He has zero to say negative about them. But what happens is, usually people go on to read other texts in the Scriptures, such as this one in Psalm 51, in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, and they begin to think that these later passages can then trump that which we have already learned and covered. I want you to know today that you will never read something in Genesis and then go over to Psalms and read something in Psalms that contradicts that which you already read in Genesis. If you are contradicting Genesis in your reading of Psalms, you're reading Psalms wrong. Let me go so far as to say this, because this is really where the rubber meets the road with most people today. You will not read anything in Galatians or in Hebrews or in James or in First and Second Peter that contradict that which we've covered in Genesis. As I mentioned in part one of this series, the first thing that people want to do when you bring up passages in Genesis that clearly show that Yahweh loves animal sacrifices is they want to say, well, Brother Matthew, what about this passage over here in Hebrews? As though they don't have to deal with the book of Genesis. I love the book of Hebrews. I dealt with it in part two. We're going to deal with it more as time progresses. I love every little word in Hebrews. But it's not going to contradict what Yahweh laid out in the book of beginnings, the book of Bereshit. It's not going to. We can surface read or we can do an in-depth reading. Most people surface read. Most people speed through the Bible. We have these Bible reading plans. I'm not against them. I think that they're a good thing and I think they can keep us on track. But it's one thing to just read and not retain. I mean, it's quite another to read and retain. And listen, don't you feel bad. If you can only read five verses and meditate on those five verses in that one daily period, that's what you can retain and you can meditate and you can concentrate on those five verses all day. If that's all you, you can retain, do not be embarrassed. Do not feel downtrodden. Do not feel like a peon when somebody comes along and says, well, I read 26 verses today in the book of First Samuel. No, don't worry about that. You know what? I guarantee you that if they did read 26 chapters, I should say, in the book of First or Second Samuel, I guarantee you they did not retain most of it. Take verses. Take a small set of verses at a time. Sometimes I get stuck when I'm studying the Bible. I get stuck on one verse. There's actually been times when I've got so stuck on a verse that I've switched my sermon because I didn't feel like I could adequately preach that verse. So I had to say, well, I don't need to get up in front of these people and act like I know what that verse is talking about when I really don't. So I'm going to switch my sermon and preach on something else. So let's read to retain. Let's not read to, uh, to show off or, or uh, be better or anything like that. In Psalm 51, we have a great passage of Scripture. 
There's a guy in the Bible by the name of David. King David. I call my son that. He likes it. Right, David? He got a crown the other day from his grandfather. Right? You're a bona fide king now, Bubba. King David was a very righteous man. He was a holy man. Yahweh is going to resurrect David in the future, and he will rule and reign over the tribes of Israel in the Millennium Kingdom, according to the book of Ezekiel. So he'll be in the kingdom. But David wasn't a perfect man. David was a sinner, just like Matthew Jansen. David was a sinner just like all of us. And he fell short. Can I show you a passage in the book of 1 Kings? I don't have, I guess, too many verses to flip to, so I'm going to show you this one. That's really not in my notes. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. Just one verse. Because David did what was right in Yahweh's eyes. How'd you like that to be written about you? <laughs> Listen to this. And he did not turn aside from anything he had commanded him all the days of his life, comma, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. You guys know the story. I'm not going to take a whole long time to go into that story. David was a righteous man, but he messed up in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, laying with Bathsheba, causing the enemies of Yahweh to blaspheme Yahweh's name. And Psalm 51 was written by King David as a psalm of sorrow and repentance and regret and acknowledgement of his sin. He probably made it into a song, and he probably played it and sang it, and he felt terrible. As you see there in verse 1, he says, Be gracious to me, Elohim, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Notice he doesn't pray to Yahweh and say, According to my greatness or according to all the righteous things that I did before this matter. He doesn't say that. He says, According to your compassion and your faithful love, Yahweh, please forgive me. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. Look down in verse 8. He says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. That's how David felt. He felt like his bones were crushed when he did what he did. Verse 9 says, Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. He must have felt really bad. He must have felt like he had a rotten heart because he says in verse 10, Elohim, create a clean heart for me. Notice he asks Yahweh to create that heart. Because David knows that he can't create it. He has to have that tugging, that drawing, that unction from his Creator. Renew a steadfast spirit with me. Don't banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. There was probably a time period around this time of David's life where he felt like the Holy Spirit had been taken from him. And that's probably why he prayed this prayer. Don't take it from me, Father. I feel like you're not here. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Verse 14 says, Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, Elohim, Elohim of my salvation. Very sorrowful for his sin. Verse 16 is the key text because this is where a lot of people will go. It's a true text. I love the text. We don't need to deny what the text says. But verse 16, he says, You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to Elohim is 
A broken spirit. Elohim, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. David had committed sin against Yahweh. And at this point in time, David, being the righteous man, knowing the Torah as a king, he was required by Deuteronomy 17 to write his own handwritten copy of the law out and read in it every day so that he'll know how to judge the people of Israel. David tells Yahweh, Father, I know you don't want a sacrifice. I know you're not going to be pleased with a burnt offering. What you want is for me to have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Yahweh works miracles in the lives of His children when we get broken. He does. Yahweh knows the difference. If Brother Matthew comes and kneels before the the King of Heaven, Yahweh Almighty, and His throne, and I come to Him and I say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I pray that You would take my guilt away from me. But I only speak that with my mouth and I don't believe it in my heart and truly want to be repentant. Do you know what? There is no way possible that I can fool Almighty Yahweh. I cannot fool Him. On the flip side of that, He does know when I'm broken and when I'm contrite. And He sees it. And sometimes the broken and the contrite person kneels down to Yahweh and they can't say anything. Sometimes all they can do is shed tears to Yahweh. Sometimes all they can say is, Father, help me. That's all they can get out of their mouth. But do you know what? They're saying a lot more than what they're putting out of their mouth. You know what they're saying it with? A broken heart and a contrite spirit. And what David is saying here is this. Father Yahweh, I don't want to just show up at the temple where I live pretty much, (laughs) or the tabernacle at that time. The temple wasn't built. The stationary temple wasn't built until Solomon. But I don't want to just show up at the altar and bring a bull and think that that just settles everything. All the smoke is settled and we're good with each other and everything's okay. I don't want to just do that. So therefore, in that manner of thinking, in that vein or that view, David was saying, Father, you don't want a sacrifice. You're not going to be pleased with a burnt offering. What you want is you want this and you want this to be totally focused upon you and your word. Do you see that? That's David's point. What most people do not do from here is read the last two verses in the chapter. Because the last two verses in the chapter balance out what we've learned in this series of lessons. Look at verse 18. David continues to say, In your good pleasure cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Zion and Jerusalem are interchangeable in Scripture. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Zion means strength, tall mountain, something to that effect. Verse 19. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. I've actually heard preachers stop at verse 17 in a sermon and teach what I just taught at the first part of this sermon, which is a truth, but not read the last two verses in the chapter. How many know we get in trouble when we stop too soon or we start too late? (laughs) We've got to read the context. David is saying, look, I know when I get my life in order, I know when I've genuinely repented 
to you, Yahweh. And when I've generally made things right, David's saying, Yahweh, when I get everything straightened out with you spiritually, it's only then that you'll accept my sacrifice. And you know it's the same thing today. And I could just talk about it, but I want to turn to another text in the book of Isaiah chapter 1. It's the exact same thing today with our prayer, our praise, our attendance. Exact same thing. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1. It says, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for Yahweh has spoken. I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Do you know who he's talking about right there? Well, he just told you in verse 1. It's concerning Judah and Jerusalem. They're his children. Yahweh didn't even give his Torah to any other nation but the nation of Israel. Psalm 147 verses 19 through 20 tells us that. He had raised them up as his children. He says in Exodus 4.22, You are my son and I have brought you out of the land of Egypt. But they rebelled against him. Verse 3, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's feeding trough, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. He's telling the people of Israel that an ox and a donkey has more intelligence in following their master and knowing where they get their food from than my people do. Verse 4, O sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children, they have abandoned Yahweh. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on Him. Why do you want more beatings? Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt and the whole heart is sick. From the sole of the foot even to the head, no spot is uninjured. Wounds, welts, festering sores, not cleansed, bandaged, or soothed with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities burn with fire before your very eyes. Foreigners devour your fields. A desolation overthrown by foreigners. Daughter Zion is abandoned. Like a shelter in a vineyard, like a shack in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Verse 9, very key. If Yahweh of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom and we would resemble Gomorrah. What Isaiah here is saying concerning Judah and Jerusalem is this. Had Yahweh not spared some of you, you would not exist. You would have been wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. We know from the story in Genesis, right? We're going to be reading it soon in the Torah reading on Sabbath. We know from the story in Genesis that Yahweh sent fire and brimstone down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because they would not serve Yahweh in certain areas in their life. Homosexuality was one. Inhospitality was another. They had problems in that city. Yahweh did away with it. Jude chapter 1 tells us that it suffered the vengeance from Yahweh called the eternal fire. And that means that the effects of the fire that Yahweh sent were eternal. It's not coming back. Verse 10. Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our Elohim, you people of Gomorrah. What's he talking about here? Sodom and Gomorrah was wiped out back in the book of Genesis. He's calling his people Sodom and Gomorrah here because of their sins. He says, listen up. Verse 11. What are all your sacrifices to me, asks Yahweh? 
I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. This is a passage that even some of what we call the early church fathers, and I do not like to call all of them that because I don't believe that they were true fathers of the true early assembly of Yahweh, but what we call the early church fathers, some of them would use this text in Isaiah 1 to do away not just with the sacrifices that Yahweh was pleased with, which we've learned, but also do away with the entirety of the law. And they'd say, look, he says right here, I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. You guys are smarter than that. You know that the context here is talking about that they're living a life of sin and licentiousness, and then they're trying in that lifestyle to come before Yahweh and bring a sacrifice. And Yahweh says, no, look, I'm fed up with it. You live your life any way that you want to. And then you come to appear before my courts and act like everything is okay? I give this analogy, and I did not come up with this on my own. Another brother I heard this from one time. It's a good analogy, though, so I'm going to repeat it. It's like, I'll use me as an example towards my wife. It's like if I were to beat my wife, which I don't, (laughs) praise Yahweh, but it's like if I were to beat her and treat her like a drunkard or a glutton or a sluggard all week long. And then at the end of the week, I bring her a rose and I give that rose to her. You know what she would tell me? I don't want your stinking rose. I want you to love me. Well, that's what Yahweh is telling these Israelites. I don't want your stinking sacrifices. I want you to love me. Do you see that? He's saying, look, I'm not going to accept a burnt offering from your hand. When you've been out thieving, not taking care of the widow and the orphan, we're going to read later on, using unjust weights and measures, cheating people. You've been doing this all week long, and now you're going to come and think that you can just offer up this animal? Doesn't work that way, Yahweh's saying. Doesn't work that way. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who requires this from you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing useless offerings. I despise your incense. Listen to this. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies, I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. One fellow, Brother Tim will know who I'm talking about, wrote a book. And on the front cover of the book, it said, Solar Sanity versus Lunar Lunacy. And on the lunar lunacy side, it said, I hate your new moons, period. And the preacher preached against keeping the new moons of Yahweh. He used this passage, and his name was Pete Peterson. He's dead and gone now. And he's in Yahweh's hands, not here to put him anywhere. But he taught wrong on this text. To use this text and say that Yahweh does not want us to keep the new moon is ridiculous. Because what Yahweh is saying is this, the same thing with the sacrifices. There is no reason, O Israel, for you to live like a Sodomite and a Gomorrite and then think that you can just come and worship me on the new moon and not worship me every day of your life. That's what Yahweh is saying. And I like how the HCSB puts it at the end of verse 13. It's beautiful. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. How many know Yahweh loves his feast days? but he only loves them if they're kept with a pure heart. We can go through the motions and the rituals and put up the booths and kill the Passover lamb and Yahweh say, 
I don't want it. Why would he say that, though? Why would he say that? He would say that if all year long we're living, as my old pastor used to say, for the devil, instead of for Yahweh, and then acting like, Sister Lisa, we can just come and appear before Yahweh and everything's okay because we'll bring a little sacrifice to him and he'll be appeased. He wants us to love him, amen? He wants us to be in love with him, in communion with him, intimate love, like a son has for his dad. Verse 14, I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. Well, that lets us know that Yahweh can get to a point where he's sick and tired of putting up with our actions. You say, Brother Matthew, does his scripture say his mercy endureth forever? Yes, it says that, but it also says this. It says both. And I believe as long as someone is genuinely repentant, genuinely saddened and sorrowful by their sin, and they continue to repent and ask for forgiveness and serve Yahweh to the best of their knowledge and ability, His mercy endureth forever. But I believe there comes a point in time where you can trample through the blood of Yeshua the Messiah, that blood of the Holy Covenant, and count that blood wherewith you were sanctified an unholy thing and do despite to the Spirit of grace. And Yahweh says, I am tired of putting up with you. And He sends you a strong delusion and causes you to believe a lie so that you might be condemned because you don't have a love for the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2 says that. Verse 15. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. It's the same thing. Lifting up the hands in prayer. Same boat as the sacrifices. He's condemning the prayer right along with the sacrifices. That doesn't mean that all prayer is condemned, does it? No, a righteous man prays. A man that's repentant, he prays. And you know what? That broken heart and that contrite spirit, Yahweh sees and he answers and he delivers. But a wicked man tries to pray. And we know the verse, Proverbs 28, verse 9, I believe it is. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. There's the key. Your hands are covered with blood. Verse 16, this is the solution. The solution is not to bring a sacrifice. The solution is not to just show up at the new moon with a burnt offering. The solution is not to go talk to the priest. Here's the solution. Wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. That's the solution. Verse 17, learn to do what is good. Here's the key. Seek justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, Plead the widow's cause. I believe the reason that Yahweh specifies these four things through Isaiah the prophet in verse 17 is because these are the four things that they were not doing. They weren't seeking justice, unjust weights and measures. They weren't correcting those being oppressed or looking down upon the oppressor. They weren't defending the rights of the fatherless and they weren't taking care of the widows. And therefore Yahweh says, you're doing all this that's against my Torah I don't want a new moon. I don't want a sacrifice. This is what I want. Stop doing evil and learn to do good. Here's the great part, though, and this is the gospel. And we read the law and the gospel, even in the Old Testament, and you've got to get this because it's not just all law. It's gospel. It's good news. Verse 18, Come, let us discuss this, says Yahweh. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool talking about whiteness of the wool. You see how loving and merciful Yahweh is? He's given these people, 
his children a beat down. And right after, he whoops them hard and tells them he hates what they're doing. Then he says, but if you come to me and you stop doing evil and you learn what's good, although your sins are as red as crimson, I'll make them white. I'll make you white, I should say, as snow. And then you know what? Then Yahweh would again accept their prayers. Then Yahweh would again accept their sacrifices and their new moons and their feasts. He would. We know that based on Isaiah 43. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 22. Here in Isaiah 43, verse 22, Yahweh gets onto His people because they've not been bringing Him the, the sacrifices. Key text here, same book, same prophet, same Yahweh. Amen. But Jacob, you have not called on me, because Israel, you have not become weary of me. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with incense. You have not bought me aromatic cane with silver, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. What Yahweh wants is for His people to serve Him in obedience. And in that obedience, bring Him those sacrifices of thanksgiving. Bring Him those sacrifices of peace offerings, those thank offerings, uh, those burnt offerings, those grain offerings, even the vegetarian offerings that we discussed last time I taught on this subject. Do good, be obedient, and then you will you will be bringing me a proper sacrifice. When you lift your hands in prayer, I won't turn my face. I'll look at your hands and I'll say, that's my faithful son, that's my faithful daughter. I'm going to close with one more text. I've got like six or seven more to go, but we're going to save it for the next message. But I'm going to close with one more text in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. What we've been talking about tonight, just to recap before we read our last text, we've been talking about there are some texts in the Old Testament that on the surface look like Yahweh does not want animal sacrifices, but those exact same texts, if we believe that they teach that, they'd also teach that Yahweh doesn't want prayer, so we just need to stop praying. Yahweh doesn't want us to lift our hands, so we just need to stop lifting our hands. But we know that that's not what those texts are teaching. What those texts are teaching is this, Get your life in order. Serve me, Yahweh says. Then come and lift your hands to me. Then come and sing songs to me. Mark 12, verse 28. One of the scribes approached. And when he heard them debating and saw that Yeshua answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? I think the King James says, What is the first commandment? Right? I think it says that. Sister Lisa, you read KJV. Which is the first commandment. That word first there in the Greek means chief. It doesn't mean first on the, ten, on the two tablets of stone. It means chief. What's the most important? That's why the HCSB translates it like that, meaning for meaning. And this scribe is trying to figure out how intelligent this man that claims to be the Mashiach is. How intelligent is he? How much does he know? And he's very intelligent because he says, this is the most important, Yeshua answered, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 in a nutshell. Listen, Israel, Yahweh, Eloheinu, Yahweh is one. 
Love Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I've taught this in more detail before, but how many know, in one sense, there is only two commandments. In another sense, there's hundreds of them. But in the sense that Yeshua was talking about was this. You can fit every one of Yahweh's commandments under one of these headings. Love Yahweh, love your neighbor. There's not a commandment in this book that you cannot fit under one of those headings. And Yeshua, in those few sentences, was giving a summation of the whole Torah. The whole Torah. One ancient teacher of the Torah said that he could teach a man the Torah while he stood on one foot. He did. And you might think, boy, that would take him years. How in the world? His foot that he's standing on, it would get awful tired. But what that Torah teacher was saying was this, is that he could say the same thing that Yeshua said right here. And he had taught the whole Torah by saying that. Verse 32, Then the scribe said to him, the scribe is intelligent too, he says, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, catch this now, is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see what's most important? Yahweh doesn't want a sacrifice if you're not being obedient to Him. Yahweh doesn't want a prayer if you're not being obedient to Him. Yahweh doesn't want a hand lifted if you're not being obedient to Him. To love Yahweh and to love your neighbor as yourself is worth more than all the sacrifices and burnt offerings combined. But catch this, and this is what most people's not going to mention, they're not going to say, but catch this. This verse proves, brothers and sisters, this verse proves that the sacrifices and the burnt offerings were of great price. How do I know that? How do you know that, Brother Matthew? Because that's what he compares this love to. It wouldn't make any sense to say loving Yahweh and loving your neighbor is worth more than something that wasn't worth a lot. He has to compare it with something that is worth a whole lot. This scribe knew the Torah He knew Leviticus. He knew all those times where Leviticus said it is a sweet-smelling aroma to Yahweh and Yahweh loves them. He knew the story about Noah where Noah got off the ark. The first thing he did was offer up the clean animals to Yahweh and Yahweh made him a promise. He knew the story about Abel and Cain. Cain did not bring the animal sacrifice. Cain even brought the inferior fruit, but Abel brought the firstling of his flock and the fat portions. And the author of Hebrews in the 11th chapter says that Yahweh had respect and pleasure in Abel's sacrifice. The scribe knew just how pricey all of those sacrifices were, and therefore he had to compare the love with something that was of great price. And he said to love Yahweh and love your neighbor is worth more than all these sacrifices combined. And when the scribe said that, Yeshua knew that he spoke wisely. And look at what he said, verse 34. When Yeshua saw that he answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of Elohim. And no one dared to question him any longer. Me and Brother Arnold was laughing about that text one time, going down the road. I said, Brother Arnold, have you ever read that text? Or I know he had. I said something like, you remember that text where he answered 
them intelligently, and, and then it said, and no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> Could you imagine? They're scared of the fellow because he's so astute. He's so educated in the, in the Scriptures, in the Tanakh, talking about the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh. Why did he say you're not far from the kingdom? Sounded like the scribe answered very well. He knew about the Shema. He knew about loving Yahweh, loving your neighbor. I think the reason he said you're not far is because the scribe had yet to see who the Messiah was. I like to think that he did. We're not told specifically, but I like to think that he did. Very intelligent man. So in one sense, yes, Yahweh is tired of our sacrifices. That is, if we try to bring them with impure motives and impure thoughts and an impure heart. I will cover more texts like this. Have anybody ever heard, and we'll stand and close in a word of prayer before I just keep going on and on and on. Let's, let's all stand and close in a word of prayer. Has anybody ever heard that verse that says, to obey is better than sacrifice? But we'll cover that next Shabbat and also a couple more passages from Jeremiah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we worship you for you are good all the time. And all the time you are good. I love you, Almighty Yahweh. And Father, I love your people. And I'm thankful to get to teach a group of people like this. Father, I'm not worthy. None of us are. But Father, you never cease to amaze me. You never cease to amaze me in how you show us that you love us through different handprints that you place in our lives. Yahweh Father, I pray that we would never become prideful, always remain humble. And that Father Yahweh, we would learn to rightly divide your word, not surface gate, not surface read, but rightly divide it not try to make it contradict with other texts in the Bible, but learn to harmonize it. And I think we're doing you a great service when we do that. So, I love you, Yahweh. I appreciate uh, you sending your son. And uh, that is good news. It's through his life, death, and resurrection that we're justified from all things. Thank you, Yahweh. Through your son, I pray. Amen.